You're listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about the Synod on Synodality. We hear a reflection on intercessory prayer, and we listen to a song from Bloomfield Bluegrass called Rio Rio Chio. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd, and with me as always... Father Steve. How you doing, Father? I'm doing well. We just uh, were recording this on the a memorial of Our Lady of Sorrows. Yesterday yeah. we celebrated the exaltation of the triumph of the cross and uh, just having Mass yesterday and today and just inviting the students uh, into the mystery of the Lord's love and Our Lady's love and the gift of Mary to us from the cross and uh, that a sword did indeed pierce for soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm, I'm in the midst of the uncertainty that's going on in the church. I'm confident that our Lord and our Lady have us. I, I said, what, is, what does Mary do? Now, pray for us now, 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 and at the hour of our death. She's always praying for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I, we, find, I find this feast, actually, it's technically, it's a memorial. Memorial, yeah. But uh, it's a little, I don't know, oxymoronic is the phrase. We're celebrating Mary's sorrow. Uh, I'm grateful for it. <laughs> that, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's kind of like well, a. Think Catholic. about yesterday, right? The exaltation of the cross. I mean, we were yeah. talking about a crucifixion. It's the strangeness yeah, of the gospel. It is, it is paradoxical. I think, uh, as I've tried to think about it, uh, the sorrows of Mary really kind of speak to the fact that she participates in the work of the cross. She's yeah. not just a, a passive bystander. Uh, that that her sorrows at the foot of the cross brought her into the work that Christ was doing. Well, and it's it's so striking to me when I go to the the side of a a dying patient and the family is there, and I I say to them, we don't understand why the Lord allows this kind of suffering, but but we do know this. We know that somehow through suffering, love grows. Is there anything that any of you wouldn't do to make your grandfather, your husband, your whatever better? Mm-hmm. And they say. We would do anything, but somehow the Lord is allowing it. And it's not like we love the, the person more, but it's as if we do. We don't actually love them more, but the, the, the preciousness of their gift, of the gift of their life, is more manifest to us at that moment. And I do think that uh, Mary's uh, compassion, right, suffering with, she was suffering. And I, I've said it. You know, theoretically, we, we muse about the theology. For whom was it harder to see your son die? Mm. The father or his mother? Yeah. Uh, clearly, Mary. I mean, mm-hmm. so we, we don't say the, the father did suffer in the son, but he doesn't suffer in the separate from yeah. it, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but Mary, and it was her blood that he shed, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it came from her anyway, yeah. right? There was her blood in his blood, and... In a certain sense, you would almost, I I think maybe from a mystical sense, you could say that her sorrows are like the birth pangs of the church, you know, because she becomes the mother of all the the faithful. 
And so it's through kind of those sufferings of watching her son die. Yeah, on the cross it's, it's a good she, point because and and the the prayers, right? The the prayer after communion, may we uh, join our sufferings and fill up what is lacking in Christ's suffering for the sake of His body, which is the church. That mm-hmm. that Colossians one, it's at twenty four. I think it's one twenty four. Uh, where Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings, for in them I fill up what is lacking in Christ's suffering. Which is an amazing statement from Paul to say that there's something lacking in in Christ's suffering. Uh, Obviously, there's nothing objectively lacking. It's the way that God beautifully opens up to each of us for us to be participants in our salvation. Well, and and what, what I think it also teaches in a palpable way is that you are in Christ, he is in you. And when you suffer, when I suffer, mm. he is also suffering. Yeah, yeah. So there is not, he suffered once. No, his suffering is redemptive mm-hmm. and we are living in him. He's living through with and in us, right? Yeah, it, 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 no, it, that's it, a that's such an important thing because I it, think a lot it, of times when people suffer, um, they, they, they may have this sense that God is kind of outside it, just like kind of looking down on them, allowing it, detached doing from it. it. To us. Yeah, <laughs> where God's really in the suffering with us. I, I think a lot of people know my niece recently passed away. She was three and a half. And um, as I was speaking to my brother in law, uh, you know, he was asking me all these different questions to help him understand his daughter's passing. And I said, you know, you're going to hear people say, oh, God wanted her now. Yeah. God doesn't desire death. No, that's right. You that's know, right. it was never his will. No. And so I mean, it's, it's in his permissive will. Sure. He allows it to happen. Yeah, that's right. But he's, in a sense, sorrowing with you right now. The, the heart of the father is close to you right now because he's suffering in a way. You know, we've got to watch too technically how we talk about the suffering of God. But this is not something that he rejoices in. Or, and so when, it, you know, being in the body of Christ, that, that, that point you just made, Christ is with us in our, in our sufferings. Right. He's not detached from it. No, that's right. And that's, and, that and should we, give us joy and confidence. When we, we pray with people for healing, um, we often invite them after they've kind of cleared the, the spiritual decks from rege- uh, resentments and, and um, lies that they believe about themselves and judgments that they've made. We go back to those memories and uh, I invite them, just uh, we uh, invite them to prayerfully put themselves back into a, a place of, of painful memory and uh, not to look at where Jesus or Mary were then, but to invite them into that memory to speak, to show them, or to do something. Yeah. There's a sense of which Jesus was in us when we were victimized, if we were victimized. He was there. But what does he want to say to me now as I am laboring under that painful memory? Yeah. He wants to speak his word of love, and Mary wants to embrace me in her mantle of love in light of that past experience. And uh, I've found it remarkably powerful in my own life and in those with whom I prayed to do that, to invite them in. When they were victimized, especially those who've been victimized, Jesus was in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he was being victimized too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, didn't plan on that. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I, I think it's, it's, we, it's we, good we, to... Before we, uh, before we started, we said, well, let's just see where this goes. <laughs> uh, 
and I'm as you know, if you come and hear me preach, uh, that's pretty much what we always do. <laughs> I do prepare, but I, if you come to different masses, there'll be slightly different uh, emphases. Yeah. Um, so what we wanted to talk about today is uh, when this uh, podcast comes out, uh, if our, we got our timing right, uh, next week. Uh, the Synod on Synodality, the first phase of it. It'll go for two years, um, a, a phase. Well, it's, it, it's been going <clears throat> for sure. several years, but it was originally going to culminate this year, but it, it's been extended for a year by the Holy Father. Mm-hmm. So there'll be uh, there'll be one Roman period this year and then another period, Roman period uh, next year. Uh, just to kind of summarize kind of what the process, you, would you like to summarize what the process has been? Well, so what there's been is a... a process of listening throughout the entire church, and, and not many within the church. I think they estimate 1% of, of uh, Catholics, or maybe it's 1% of practicing Catholics, gave feedback on various questions about how uh, the, the church is uh, connecting or not connecting with the various people. I think there was a real focus uh, in the outreach to those who felt marginalized who were on the peripheries of the church, which, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's been, a, been a bit of a challenge for me as I read the summary reports from the U.S. or from around the world where uh, the people that I know here at Resurrection and in the Diocese of Lansing, their concerns about staying faithfully uh, connected with the tradition that we've received seem to be downplayed and the push for changes of various kinds. We've, we've talked about it on Sundays occasionally, kind of modernist changes to get the church more in line with the spirit at the time. So, But it's been a listening session, and now we've, we've got people who have been invited. There are a lot of bishops, but normally for a, a synod of bishops, it's only bishops. But this year, the Holy Father has stipulated that there would be others who would not just be attending but also have voting rights. And uh, I can't remember the exact numbers, but there are lay people and other priests and other clerics that were not sent by various Episcopal conferences. Mm -hmm. So each Episcopal conference got to select their own representatives, and then the Pope um, invited his own kind of um, invitees as well. So... um, so uh, what topics have they said that they will be discussing? Has, has there been any kind of indication that you're aware of that what we can expect? Well, what, what Bishop Barron said was it, he, he's arguing that it really is about strategy, how we're going to be the church in the 21st century to evangelize those who are on the peripheries. Uh, but it seems to me that, that there's been a lot of talk uh, in the summary reports uh, emphasize changes that could be being proposed to longstanding doctrine. So I don't think we really know yeah. what is going to be. I think the, the Pope, uh, as he is wont to say, he wants everything to be able to be discussed. Right? Mm-hmm. Although and, I did hear something from him, was it in a recent trip to maybe like Mongolia or something? He said that the question of priestly ordination to men is, is a settled issue. Okay, um, that's, that's good to hear. So I know there's a lot of voices that want to bring that up, um, but he referenced um, Pastores Dabo Vobis, the document of John Paul II, and said that that has been a settled question. So 
Well, that's, I mean, that, that, that's reassuring. I think the, the issues um, that some people are concerned about is, is how the, the, with the new appointment to the Dicastery of the Doctrine of the Faith, um, Archbishop Victor Manuel Fernandez, he's a cardinal-elect, he seems to be speaking in ways that I would have historically called modernist. Mm-hmm. The way that the church understands it now is this way, but we need to be open. We need to be a learning church. We're not a teaching church. He didn't say that exactly, but there's a sense in which the way that that office has been um, understood and the role has been a protector of the uh, the deposit of faith rather than an exploratory, almost academic, let's imagine what might be. And it seems like he's open to, let's see where these various streams of theological um, musings might lead. And I, th- I think there's a real risk there, especially when the culture uh, is uh, pushing in ways that are demanding that we conform to their norms, which yeah. are especially around LGBT mm-hmm. questions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't. I, I think it's actually a virtue for leaders to listen to those they've given charge of. Uh, Saint Benedict, in his rule, talks about when the the abbot is going to make a decision, he could, should consult all of the brothers, even the the youngest uh, of the community. So that's, that's I think, a, a virtue of a leader. However, when we start to get the, the inversion of, like, who's, who's directing, you know, is it just any voice, you know, the loudest voices? Um, that's when I start to get a little bit of, like, okay, what, where are we going here? Well, and, and you know, one of the, uh, the Holy Father is a Jesuit, and uh, one of their great strengths is discernment. Uh, but... You can discern your way, quote unquote, uh, to places that are not consistent with the tradition. Mm-hmm. All right, you can see a certain rationale. Uh, you know the way that divorce and remarriage is talked about. Well, maybe this is the best they can do right now, as if we are not able to grow in virtue. Right, so there may be a certain kind of tolerance in the name of mercy for behaviors that are objectively gravely sinful. And I, I, so you're right, absolutely want to listen, but I I think uh, the world and the flesh, and I would say the devil are screaming in the ear of the bishops and the other members of the church to get us with the spirit of the times. And it's not like we're doing this in in a vacuum. We know what has happened within the Anglican communion. We know what has happened within the Methodist communion. These issues have become tendentious Mm -hmm. and have split the church. And for us not to be cautious just there, especially if we begin to think that the people will be able to vote on this is where it could potentially lead, right? If you have a synod that is not that of bishops who have uh, hands laid on with the burden of holding on to the truth, mm-hmm. uh, we might say, well, it's just easier to go along with the spirit of the age than to stay with the spirit of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, another uh, one thing that I've, I've noticed for a while is like when we talk about those on the periphery, uh, there's, there seems to be very little discernment about why they're on the periphery. That's right. Because somebody could be left out because of my fault. I've left them out. Or 
They could be on, on the outs because they've chosen to be on the outs. Um, and it seems like the only kind of um, conversation that I've heard around why they're out, it's almost that no conversation at all. It's just an assumption that we've committed. Alienated them. Yeah, yeah we've committed some act of injustice. Our rigid uh, moralizing has alienated them. I mean, I do think that when you get a cardinal like Cardinal McElroy talking about radical inclusion, uh, it it points at this very issue. When we talk about radical inclusion, what if I want to be polygamous mm-hmm. as, a, as a, an ordained priest? Should that be accepted? And if you kick me out, is that somehow being rigid? No, there's a sense in which we need to hold to the moral stand. Uh, when I preached about the need for us to correct our brothers, I used the example, at least at one of the masses, maybe two of the masses, of, of Paul denouncing the sin of the Corinthian church, which is very much like the, the Western, um, modern it church. Like American, right? society. It's like yeah. American society. And so he says, I commend him to Satan for his, uh, so that he would repent. Mm-hmm. So that's the old idea of excommunication. So there's a sense in which we discipline, we prevent from, we're not gonna pat you on this, the head and say, you're fine. No, you want to be here, come back, repent and come back. Mm -hmm. If we lose that, we've lost the gospel. We've lost the the tradition of the church from the very beginning. Yeah, I just think of the the, the story, not a parable, the story in Jesus' life of the rich young man. Mm -hmm. He wants to come and follow Jesus. So Jesus says, okay, if you want to be one of my followers, this is what you have to do. You have to sell your possessions, give everything to the poor, and come follow me. And the man walks away. Okay, why is that young man... On the outside he walked now. away sad. He walked away sad because he was a rich man. Yeah, he. But he made the choice. Absolutely, it wasn't like Jesus wasn't being welcoming. Well, and and also at the uh, the bread of life discourse, mm-hmm. uh, this is a difficult teaching. Who can teach? Who can stomach it? Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's a New English Bible translation. I like that. <laughs> who can stomach it? Uh, and then Jesus says, "Do you also want to go?" Yeah, uh, Peter, one of his good lines. Yeah, right. He had many. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, uh, Saint Peter, for your faithfulness uh, and being a, a flawed pope. So we can understand that popes are always flawed. They're sure. human, just like the rest of us. They've got a special charism. But he said, "To whom shall we go? You have the words mm-hmm. of eternal life." And this is not to say that anybody on kind of on the outs is. Uh is guilty or if the church has not been guilty of, of wrongdoing at all. It's just we need to have a full picture if we're going to be right. making decisions. And right, and, and the, the, the bias can't be if you're outside the scope of the church, it's the church's fault. Yeah, exactly. Always, yeah. Right? And, you know, I, I think you know, it's hard to take seriously the language of inclusion when there's been such a... Um, a targeting of those who are holding onto the tradition in the most faithful ways. I mean, the, the attack, frankly, upon the uses antiquier. Uh, and, you know, I, I celebrate uh, baptisms and I hope one day to celebrate the uses antiquier, what we used to call the extraordinary form of the, of the, the mass, the Roman rite. Um, but the idea that they are somehow um, beneath dignity Right? They don't need to be heard at all. Mm-hmm. They're a voice we need to stamp out. And in fact, we want that whole way of thinking to die off. That's 
I don't know how you can see what's happening, what's being said, without concluding that that's the desire of some. Yeah, yeah. Pope Pope Benedict very explicitly said he was looking for synthesis. That's right. You know, Mutual he, enrichment. Yeah, he saw that like going uh, back all the way was not a path forward. Um, like Pope Francis has said on multiple occasions, but his solution was not to just axe it. It was to try to find a path towards synthesis. Um, but you're right. It feels like the only ones that ever get corrected or disciplined are those that are trying to be... Well, and, and, and I mean, we, can, we can talk about the imprudence of some of the things that... Uh, Bishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas, sure. has said. Uh, I think he's. I think said he needs it, to delete his his Twitter account. Yeah, I, I think that's that's that happens to a lot of people. Uh, you, you'll notice that I don't tweet. <laughs> uh, uh, no, it's easy to get carried away in that social media context. But uh, you know, some of his recent proclamations are basically reiterating what the church teaches and. There's rumors now that he's going to be asked to resign. I doubt that he will resign. Who knows if it's going to get ramped up. What What's going on here? I, I mean, that's a question I'm asking. Is there uh, a sense of inclusion and of listening, or is there a dictatorial uh, perspective regnant in the church? Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, uh, it be it seems a bit... Uh, disingenuous to say that this is about synodality, walking together and listening together. The other thing uh, I want to just say about synodality is we want to walk with people, but not off the cliff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's walk yeah. and let's invite people back into the loving embrace of the Lord and of Our Lady and of the Church, uh, not on their terms, but on the Lord's terms. Mm-hmm. Now, do we know those things perfectly? we have that handed on to us in faith and morals through the magisterium. So I think we do, we're not adrift entirely. And that's where, how can we do this better? Those are questions worth asking and answering, and I hope that that's what the Synod will focus on. Yeah, because as uh, you had um, you had uh, put in the bulletin last week uh, an article from Bishop Barron, mm-hmm. and Bishop Barron, in talking about uh, the road to Emmaus, points out, yeah, Jesus traveled with them as they were going in the wrong way. Uh, but he did that so that he could earn their trust, encounter them, speak to them, teach them, so that he could send them back to the right way. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that point that he said, though, in that article was, uh, and I think speaks to something that you're saying, when did conversion become a dirty word? That's right. Like, uh, you know... Um, Austin Iverley and, and, and people like him, uh, they want people to have an encounter with Jesus, but then they don't want to ask them to do anything about it. Well, like, and, and, There's always an invitation that comes with an well, encounter. And, and this is what I think we're seeing within the Anglican communion, uh, at least a significant part of the Anglican communion. Uh, Jesus just wants us to be nice. And what happens when we say Jesus just wants us to be nice? No one comes to church. Because the fact is, we know that we're not right. We need to convert. Yeah, I mean, we need a metanoia. We, we need that. That's the charisma. And, and the, the, the faiths, the communities, the churches, individually and collectively, that hold to 
the historic deposit of the faith are going to be the ones that are going to matter and are going to grow. The other ones are going to wither away. And if we turn to the world, we will become irrelevant. We read in the sacred scriptures, love of the world is enmity with God. If we're trying to love the world, not as Christ does, but on its own terms, we have been lost. Mm -hmm. And we will not help anybody else be found. Yeah. Well, I think the good news in all of this is that you and I are not in charge. Uh, the Holy Spirit's That's in a charge. Relief. It's a relief. And, and in fact, I'm, I'm much better off uh, hearing rumors about what's happening in Rome than I used to be. I had a, I had a, a sphere of concern as big as the universe. Yeah. But just a reminder, we're about what's my sphere of influence? It's right here. Maybe it's bigger because of the podcast. Maybe it's not very big at all because of the podcast. I don't know. But we need to live faithful lives. And come what may, come whatever may, uh, I will hold on to the historic beliefs because I can do no other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, peace comes when you worry about the responsibilities that God has given you. And we've got grace for that. Yeah. For nothing else. Exactly. And so I think it was sometime during 2020, I was spending a lot of time on social media where I just, something clicked and I just kind of said, no more. I've got to worry about my family. I've got to worry about my, my job, my church. And then whatever's happening in Rome can happen in Rome. And the Holy Spirit will take care of that, uh, but I've got to take care of my little chunk of Lansing, Michigan. Well, and as, as we, we take that obviously very practical uh, lesson, we can also think uh, theologically. So what is happening, what has been happening, what is happening, what will happen is all within God's providential mm-hmm. plan. So he, he's not like, what am I going to do now? No, he, he's, not, he's not worried about the synod on synodality. Yeah. It's not just because he's in heaven and nobody's worried <laughs> in heaven. No, he, he wants us not to worry. Do not be afraid. Now, it might look messy, just like the cross. But we know what happened on the third day. Mm-hmm. And we know that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church yeah. that's been founded on the rock of Peter. Yeah. So pray for the Pope. Somebody encouraged me to pray for the Pope more. That's a good idea. I pray for the Pope every time I celebrate the Mass and throughout the day, multiple times. Let's all do that. And pray for all of those who are, going to, who are going to be there, that they would have courage to speak the truth that the Lord is stirring them to speak, that it really would be a listening session to the Holy Spirit. And they'd be able to discern when the, the push in this direction is a corruption and when the push in this direction is a development, an authentic development that is consistent with the origins of the faith. Amen. All right. Well, with that, uh, this is another week. Um, this is Rich. And Father Steve. God bless. When we promise someone that we will pray for them, do we actually do it? And do we pray with faith? In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, we seek to answer those questions and explore the power behind intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer. A key element in the spiritual life is the life of prayer. Prayer comes in a number of different forms. Mental prayer, including meditation and contemplation. Vocal prayer, which includes the recitation of rote prayers like litanies, the rosary 
and the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Communal prayer, which can be liturgical or in the form of a prayer meeting, and intercessory prayer, which can be in the form of petitions prayed to God or prayer ministry with the laying on of hands. One of the most underrated forms of prayer is that last one, intercessory prayer. To intercede, according to the Catholic Encyclopedia, can be described as to go or come between two parties, to plead before one of them on behalf of the other. In the case of intercessory prayer, the person who prays beseeches God to grant a favour of some sort. When we tell someone, I'll pray for you, it's not like a reassuring pat on the head from a well-meaning benefactor. It should mean something more than simply a kind gesture. In the letter of James, chapter 2, the Apostle urges us to something more than well wishes. He says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. This, of course, means that we should help supply the physical needs of someone who is disadvantaged. But in addition to helping out with practical measures, one of the best things we can do for someone is to pray for them, and especially if there is no physical help that we can actually give. If we tell someone that we will pray for them, it's usually a good idea to do it immediately so that we don't forget. So when we promise to pray using intercessory prayer, what should it actually mean? In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, just before Jesus tells us how to pray using the Our Father, he says this, When you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This should give us confidence that we are not praying to a brick wall that hears nothing. The fact that God the Father already knows what we need and is ready to answer our prayers should encourage us. Notice, though, that Jesus doesn't say that God will give us what we want, but what we need. But nor is God a vending machine that dispenses candy to us and obeys our every craving. When we pray, we should pray with expectant faith and trust that our prayers will be heard and answered. And what we trust in is that God will give us the best answer possible. Again, in Matthew chapter 7, we read, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? This, of course, implies that when we pray, we should not ask for stones but bread. What does this mean? It means that when we pray, we should be asking God to grant things that are in his will. And how do we find out what God's will is? Through personal prayer, or what is sometimes called mental prayer through spending time each day to receive love from God and return that love to him. The closer we come to God through prayer, 
the more we will be in tune with his will. And the more we are clued into his will, the more we will be sensitive to what we should be asking for in prayer. Sometimes God's answers seem to be too slow. We ask for something and it does arrive only days, weeks or even months later. Yet when we look back on answered prayer, we often realise that if he had responded using our timescale, things would not have gone quite so well. Often there are certain other factors that God needs to put in place in order to bless us with the best possible answer. So if God seems tardy about answering our prayer, we need to trust that he knows best and will answer in his own time and in his own way. And sometimes God does not appear to answer our prayers at all. Nevertheless, we should not lose heart if our prayers do not seem to be answered. There is no prayer of ours made in faith that goes unanswered. Often God answers our prayer in a way that addresses what we truly need or what he knows is the best possible answer for us, regardless of the fact that we may crave some other response. There is also a type of intercessory prayer that can have an almost immediate effect, and that is praying over someone for a specific blessing. In the New Testament, especially in the Gospels and in the Acts of the Apostles, we read about the disciples laying hands on someone to ask for healing or a miracle or for the Lord to confirm someone in a particular ministry. This form of prayer is used by bishops when they ordain priests and it is used in the sacrament of the sick. But it is a form of prayer that can be used by anyone. The authority of our own baptism qualifies us to pray in this way. We have seen this many times in our parish life and ministry when we ask for physical healing. All that is required is to lay a hand on the person who is in need of healing and utter the words, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, be healed. It's worth praying for healing in this way if you have never done it before. We are a body and each of us has different gifts. There may be some among us who have the gift of healing, but we will never know unless we attempt to pray for it. It's not a party trick, nor is this gift restricted to those who are holy enough to be saints. It's simply the power of God made manifest among a community of believers. Throughout the history of the church, we have seen many examples of the power of intercessory prayer, from converting the hearts of hardened unbelievers to curing those with terminal medical conditions to bringing about the collapse of anti-Christian political regimes. Intercessory prayer can move mountains, both figuratively and if Jesus is to be believed, which I think he is, literally. So let's not undervalue intercessory prayer. It's like a secret weapon that our enemy, the devil, has not paid much attention to. That is, until it starts making holes in his defences. And let's begin to pray in earnest and with confidence that God will answer us. Let's also draw close to the Lord in personal prayer so that we can discern what God's will is in any given situation and pray for that. Our God is a good and loving God and he is eager to give us what we need. That's why Jesus encourages us to ask, seek and knock. 
As he says in Matthew chapter 7, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the light that enlightens every human being. Give us light to know what you desire us to ask for. Lead us to seek only your will and to find it through personal prayer. Show us the door we should knock on, to have it open to us as we pray. You see how our worldly wants and cravings can lead us astray, and yet you alone know what we truly need. Teach us to intercede for all that lies within your will. Amen. finish this episode with a song that was performed by Bloomfield Bluegrass at a recent parish cultural event. The song is called Ryu Ryu Chiu. Muchas profecías y han profetizado, y han en nuestros días lo hemos alcanzado. A Dios nominado vemos en el cielo, y al hombre en el cielo pues cuál aquí estará. Río, río, chío, la guadalipera. Dios cuadro, Dios cuadro, Dios cuadro, el lobo de nuestra cordera. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelansing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelansing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.